Welcome to The Grind, a podcast about the church planting process and missional strategies to make disciples of all nations. Coming to you from the offices of the Arkansas Baptist State Convention in Little Rock, Arkansas. Now, here are your hosts, Dave McClung and Chad Grigsby. Well, welcome back, everybody, to The Grind podcast. I am Dave McClung, uh, your lovely, magnanimous host, along with my gloriously quaffed uh sidekick here chad grigsby thank you dave for the <laughs> lovely adjectives dude your hair's getting long i just have to it say is, that. it is it's, it? re- it's really poofing out underneath your hat there yeah yeah so, I, it's uh so what you guys listening can't see is uh chad's a master of the flat bill ball cap uh which i cannot pull off I, it just does not work for me and uh, his hair's getting so long that it's starting to poof out underneath his hat and so uh he's looking good this morning this afternoon <clears throat> yeah well <laughs> it uh it was a hat kind of day if you know what i'm talking about it well, was a bad hair day so yeah you, you spent time working in a hot block party trailer this morning did you not yeah so. it's great for 93 degree weather yeah yeah, yeah. uh yeah we we had we had a block party trailer go to Montana for three weeks, and it came back in a little bit different shape than it left, <laughs> and uh, and uh, so we, we we needed to repair some stuff. But hey, yeah. it's working, and Planters yeah. using it tomorrow, so that's good. Hey, that's what thousands of miles on the road and great use over three weeks will do to a block party trailer. So that's right. That's what we want. It should come back in pieces. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Well, we are excited today uh, to have joining us on the podcast. uh, My former professor, now he may not want me to say things like this because then he has to accept responsibility for what he taught me. And, uh, (laughs) Uh, one of my former uh, professors at Williams Baptist College, now the dean of the Christian Ministry School at uh, Southwest Baptist in Bolivar, uh, Missouri, Dr. Rodney Reeves. Thanks. Good to see you again, David. You've changed a little bit since then. Yeah. If we're going to talk about appearance. Yeah, yeah. Uh, older, fatter, grayer, and dumber. That's kind of my model. No, I wouldn't. I don't know about the last. We'll have to find out as the conversation goes on. And secondly, I don't want to take responsibility for what you believe. I just, I just tried to serve, you know, yeah. what you consumed was your responsibility. That's right. So, so just so we're clear, you think, you do think Dave is old, fat, and ugly, but not dumb? <laughs> I was going to work backwards, forwards. Oh, gonna, I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, but I, yeah. if we're going to start talking about hair, I mean, I'm going to lose this. Right, right. That's right. I've been I've been losing my hair since I was uh, 16. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I've got a lot more hair at 60 than I thought I would. I really I thought yeah. God really was cursing me <laughs> because of my long hair back in the uh, late 60s, early 70s. Yeah. yeah. So that I've got so much. I'm proud of little the growth I've got on top here without yeah. any aid of Propecia or whatever. <laughs> and it's not great. You know, so that's, that's right. a big shock. I mean, all my buddies are convinced I use some sort of product, you know. Uh-huh, uh-huh. No, my dad, I probably got his genes with regards to color because his gray turned like just overnight. We visited family one one time. We live in Arkansas time. I was uh, at Central Baptist, pastor there. We came up to see him. 
like one fall, right? And then we come back to, and he was dark-headed. Two months later, he's gray. It's like, so that's going to wow. happen to me. And people yeah. are going to be convinced, aha, we knew it. You quit using the product. <laughs> yeah. I, those of those who have listened to us for any length of time have come to expect this kind of behavior from us. Uh, <laughs> you know, I say old, fat, gray, and dumber uh, because uh, every time I open my mouth, I remove all doubt. <laughs> that is true. In, in some people's minds. So anyway, uh, we're kidding. We're kidding. All right. So here's what we want to talk about today. Um, one of the, I guess, one of the great challenges we, how oh, it's challenge. It's, you know, I guess, a, uh, well, it's a challenge in dealing with some philosophies of ministry. Church planning is very much a missionary endeavor and, and has to be a missionary endeavor for the church to grow because you're not starting with anything. I mean, everything is from scratch, maybe a core group of people. So you're setting DNA, setting culture, you know, from the beginning, you know, in a particular context with a particular people. And so one of the things that typically early on in our conversations we have with guys who are planting is kind of the role of the worship service and the role of preaching in in the early church plant and so there there has to be proclamation done because you are setting vision and dna and culture and and teaching theology and and doctrine particularly with if you're reaching a lot of new believers so there has to be a role of that but far too often church planners have a tendency to jump very quickly to preaching in the worship service being central and the missionary endeavors taking a back seat. And so, so what we thought we'd do was talk about uh, in the early church and the, the rapid expansion of the early church, the role of preaching in the New Testament, the early church, how proclamation was done, um, maybe some of the just New Testament language about preaching, you know, kind of how they talked about proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming the kingdom of God, and then translate that to a post-Christendom context in the West and what role preaching should play uh, here and, you know, what form it should take. Uh, yeah, so no pressure, in other yeah, words. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. that's a big question. That's a yes, big it is. Question. Yes, it is. Hey, you got I mean, 35 minutes. Going, yeah, I, my mind's going like a hundred different directions. <laughs> it's a really good question. Yeah. All right. So uh, let me just start with this. First of all, scholars have been using this expression recently, and I've really resonated with it. And that is, when you read the scriptures, especially, you know, not only the Old Testament, but the New Testament, you see it in the ministry of Jesus, you see it in the ministry of Paul. There is a centripetal force and a centrifugal force. A centripetal is a magnet that draws us in, and there's a centrifugal that, that casts us out, so to speak, or propels us, compels us to go out. And what always happens, the, centrip the centripetal force is the presence of God. Mm -hmm. When God shows up, people are drawn to him. That's what happened with Jesus. That's what happened with Paul when he's preaching and ministering the gospel by the Spirit of Christ. So there's a, and the prophets, you know, longed for that, that God would show up and then people would come. And part of him showing up is speaking through prophets. It's speaking through the messenger of God. So when you think about that, and, and then look at Acts through that context, think about Acts. 
in the language of centripetal and centrifugal. Isn't that what happens? Yeah. You've got people coming together because of the ministry of Christ. And he says, you stay here. God shows up, Acts chapter 2. There's a prophetic word that goes out. And then there is a centrifugal force of the Spirit who moves now uh, the early church to continue this kind of uh, coming in and going out, coming in, going out. It runs throughout the whole book of Acts. Now, there are some times in Acts where the, they wanted to come in and just stay in. There was no sense of going out, right? Yeah. Um, and then you've got some examples where the church maybe went too fast or Paul went too fast. Um, and that you know, led him into some difficulties. So I think there is some biblical resonance in the story of Jesus, the story of the early church, the story of Paul's ministry that we can relate to. Now, like you said, you know, we have a, even the way we think about church, the way we, in the language we use, like for them, the church is a group of people. Mm -hmm. For them, the gospel is a way of life. It's the way of Jesus. Uh, for us, you know, we think of church as a building. We think of gospel as a plan of salvation for lost people. So in certain respects, you know, that language shows up in the Bible, and we have our, kind of our own way of thinking about it. And almost uh, without really realizing it, sometimes we truncate the gospel. Sometimes we reduce it to something that is less than what it really was intended to be. Ultimately, yeah. the gospel is a person, Jesus right. Christ. The gospel is a person. And, um, and also, we, we think of the church as a location, as a time and a place, when really the church is a people. So if you're operating with kind of the, the common parlance, you know, church is a place where I show up once a week, and the gospel is somebody up there trying to convince lost people to get saved— then I think we're, you're going to miss what could be called, or what some call the missional purpose of the fellowship, the koinonia of Jesus Christ. You, you miss what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You miss so much the robust uh, truth of what the gospel is, should be, and always will be until Jesus returns. So perhaps if I put that before us as at least one kind of framework to think about this. Yeah. Um, then that might help us proceed with conversations about it. So, so what was going on then? What would it look like today? But I throw that out and see if you've got a response to that. Yeah, and I think you know all of us have cultural filters by which we interpret and read, you know, the biblical documents, and uh, you know, obviously, you know, we want to be good biblical scholars, and and I think most of our planters would acknowledge that. Look. You know, the church is a people, not just a place where the people gather, uh, but it is a people that have been sent by God, you know, to the world uh, with uh, the the good news of Jesus, you know, as our, you know, modus operandi, our, our force for being sent. And, uh, well, and it's not just the reason we're sent, it's the reason we're drawn together. It's, it's right. both. It's both. Yeah, yeah. It, see, we, we're drawn together in koinonia uh, because of the presence of Christ. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He is the reason we're drawn together. Hmm. Right. And then that, and this, for the same reason, then that centripetal force is our centrifugal calling. Yeah. So it's, it's a back and forth. It's not because too often we think of mission as simply ascending. 
but it's it's not just the sending. There's a mission to come to God as well as a mission to go to the people. Right. It's both and, and you can't do one without the other. Yeah. There's gathered, sending, gathered and scattered, right. What's that, Chad? It's gathered and scattered, right? Yeah. And and then think even about the gathering. It's it's we we tend to th- reduce it to maybe you know this this kind of weekly time when we for an hour we call you know we do what we call church but the gathering in the early church happened more often than that yeah and and there was a sense in which and this is what i try to emphasize to our students we we missed this because in the west we're such an individualistic culture bluntly put i don't need anybody to make it Mm. <laughs> You're I right. mean, think about it. I, I don't need anybody. There's so much I can do for myself by myself. I don't need you. Mm. I mean, I'll let you in my life, but I don't need you. Yeah. See, yeah. but the early church, when you professed faith in Jesus Christ, at the same time, you're turning your back on your ancestral gods. Yeah. You're, you are betraying your family. You're betraying your politic. I mean, you're, and therefore, you're also betraying your economic livelihood because many of the trade guilds were built around a patron god or goddess. Wow. So, I mean, when you become a Christian, you have burned bridges like crazy. Talk about going, you know, coming to or coming yeah. from, right? Yeah. And so Paul understood. He experienced this. He began to teach and recognize, and Jesus taught the same thing, that you leave your family behind because you get a new family. Mm-hmm. And the reason you need that family is you can't make it by yourself. Mm. Yeah. You can't. Yeah. In their world, you can't make it by yourself. So he really counted on, Paul did, Jesus did too, for this new family, this fictive family to come together where we treat one another like brothers and sisters and rely upon one another for everything economically, socially, spiritually, politically, everything. Yeah. And therefore, we were supposed to be together an alternate society as a witness to the world. So mission is not just me, like one soldier, one little lone ranger going out into the world by myself trying to conquer the devil. Paul sets it up this way. Jesus emphasized this. The witness is the church. Yeah. I can't be a Christian by myself. I can't follow Jesus by myself. The gifts of the Spirit are not located in one person, right? We need everybody to reveal Christ to the world. So that's when the church becomes an alternate society. So it's not just a message proclaimed. It's a way of life, Hmm. of self-sacrifice, of deference to one another, of giving, of generosity, what what Paul called grace. And, and it's that alternate society was the centripetal kind of pulling of the presence of Christ changed people. And then as they move and live and have their being, they still are, Paul is still a tent maker. Yeah. Right? Yep. Um, and, and, uh, and so you've got the example of him laboring with his own hands as he l- lives and moves and has his being in the world, we would say, he was convinced that he would be uh, a light shining in the darkness, but it was the light that was to draw people back to Christ, not the lone outpost. Right. And it was his, it was his way of life as much as what he said that was to reveal the presence of Christ in him and in the church. Yeah. 
you know, and that may be the greatest disconnect we're, I guess, experiencing now with the way we gather for worship, the, the, and, and really how we limit that way of life to a gathering for worship. Uh, you know, acts to, you know, they, uh, as anyone had need, they would sell possessions and give to those needs. They kept feeling a sense of awe and wonder at what God was doing. They broke bread from house to house, praising God in the temple daily, you know, this, this rhythm of actually doing life together day by day, uh, we've replaced with a Sunday gathering yep. and elevated a preacher in the midst of that yep. to do for somebody what they should be doing together. It's yeah, that's exactly right. You still need a prophetic word. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Right? But but sometimes, and Acts talks, tells this story, sometimes the prophetic word doesn't come from the apostle. Sometimes it comes from somebody else, <laughs> yeah. like Agabus. You know, you need a community that comes together, that's sensitive to the Spirit, that's reading this, the Scriptures. Paul's constantly referencing the Scriptures. Peter does the same thing, right? So this is not, this is not making it up as you go. This is the story of God that goes all the way back to Genesis 1.1. This is a story that's been going on for a long time. Mm-hmm. And we, we, you know, we're not inventing anything. We're entering the narrative by really as the beneficiaries of all that God has done up to this point. And now we enter the story of Christ because he has redeemed us together and he will continue to redeem us to the end. So then we live this narrative and it changes everything. It changes the way the gospel changes the way you see the world, the world's priorities compared to ours. It changes the way you see yourself, realizing that what it truly means to be a new creation in Christ where old things pass away and everything becomes new because of him. And it changes the way you see the future. The fancy word for that is eschatology. So this idea that, you know, we're just kind of, you know, flying by the seat of the pants and see what culturally works. Culture is fine, but there is a very clear sense of a terminus that we're headed somewhere that God started something and he will finish it. And what he started and what he's going to finish is he's recreating us paul uses the word we are being conformed to the image of his son Hmm. together not by ourselves but together and this witness of the church to the end of the world um of the end of the world to the end of the world you know we're showing what the end of the world looks like right now what the world values not for us we witness the world has already come to an end in christ jesus and we are a witness to the apocalyptic reality when the last day comes. Mm -hmm. So it's so much bigger than me getting in front of people and and preaching the gospel. And this, the centripetal force is so much bigger than making sure I've got a well-honed crafted sermon. Now, of course you need to work hard. If you're one of the primary teacher preachers in the church, work hard at it, but it's a matter of God showing up. (laughs) That's what it's about. Right. And me being changed, you know, if God puts me to a place where I'm preaching the gospel, he's changing me. He's changing me because I would learn from other Christians, their read of the scripture. We would read it together. And often my, this is what I did in my preaching when I was, I still do this day, but when I was pastor central Baptist and it was hard for some of the members to get used to this, (laughs) but I, I take a more dialogical approach to preaching. 
I mean, I'm constantly asking questions. Maybe it's the teacher coming out of me. I can't help it. Did but... you say you take a diabolical approach? <laughs> <laughs> no. no. Well, some would say that. Well, yeah. You know what? Some would have said, yes, that's exactly what it was. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I had one member. He did not like my approach. He wanted that man to get up there and just mm. tell him the way it is and yeah. give him a list at the end, and they can leave and feel better about their faith. Yeah. And I wasn't so confident. I'm confident in the gospel, but I'm not confident about the list that comes at the end of the sermon. Yeah. <laughs> and so I would, I would dialogue with them, and I would often, I would admit at times when a passage of scripture was confusing to me. I would admit that I didn't, I don't know what this means, and I would even throw it out to them. What do you all think? Because the Spirit doesn't show up just in one man. He shows up in all of us. John says, test the spirits. He tells the church that. Yeah. When they're dealing with these people who are denying that Jesus is the Christ, you know, John doesn't go, all right, he doesn't name names. Those are heretics. Get them out of there. He's convinced the church, uh, he's convinced the spirit is enough to guide the church in truth. And the only way that's going to happen is if the people will listen to the spirit. It's not one, you know, the spirit doesn't speak just through one man to the whole church. God speaks can speak through one person through the whole church, but often God speaks through the church to one another. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, as we, as we uh, talk to planters and try to get them to think more about the missionary work, especially as they get started, because, you know, when you, we, we often say it this way, start, you know, plant a church, not just a worship service, you know, yes. to try to help yes. create some contrast in their yes. mind a little bit. Because as soon as they start thinking childcare, preaching, worship, which is a lot them and their it's, family, it's it's necessary. Sure. It's necessary, but it's all consuming. Uh, if they're not do, kind of doing disciple making and evangelism on the front end, so so if we're talking to planters, kind of, and uh, and this is kind of, I don't know if this is advice on their liturgy or what, but if you were kind of telling them when it comes to preaching what would be one or two things that you would tell them as they start and as they plant uh, for how to approach it in church planting? And maybe create that dialogical atmosphere yeah, where there is room for others to speak and proclaim. Good question. So I think first it starts with humility. It's what Paul emphasizes over and over again. Jesus does well. Uh, does that as well. Isn't it amazing? He's the, he's the surest expression of the Word of God. <laughs> you talk about a man who was confident in who he was and what he came to do, right? Yeah. And yet we also think of him as the most humble man that ever lived. Yeah. yeah. Because he gave power away. Jesus didn't gather power to himself. He constantly gave it away. And of course, the ultimate expression of that was to the cross of Jesus, right? Yeah. He's, so, there is a humility. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the humble. They inherit the land. So both in Jesus and in Paul and in John, there's this emphasis on humility. Why? Because none of us have it figured out. None of us have all the answers. You may have your systematic theology, and you may think that you've got this author that you love and you just memorize and you spit that out. You know, yes, read authors. They can help you. But here's the truth of the matter. Doctrine is man-made. It's man-made, okay? But God's word comes from him. So I would say be humble, humble yourself in the presence of the Lord, and submit to the word of God. <laughs> 
you know it's a matter of bringing the word to the people but also having the people bring the word to you that's that dialogue yeah yeah and and so then you learn together you grow together in the knowledge of the lord so maybe a context would be rather than if you're smarting with starting with a small group instead of setting up your little pulpit and put the people out you know in rows maybe the way in which you organize the room could have this sense of a of a circle mm. yeah but that'd be a way i mean it's a very simple idea but if i had a small group honestly if i had a small group uh if 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 the lord convinced me to go to um a place to start the church, a start a fellowship there. The first thing I would do is is I would just begin to preach the gospel <laughs> it, with my life, so to speak, which I which I try to do every day. So I would try to live the gospel. I would share my faith, and I would get with uh, other Christians in the area if there are Christians already there, and pray with them about where it would be a good place. And then once that's determined, then I would just begin to make uh, you know. Have relationships through my job, whatever, uh, through other minister, ministers of Christians in the community come together, and maybe six or seven, eight, nine, ten might show up on a on a Wednesday night or a Saturday night or whenever we have it, and we come together, and maybe this idea of praying, of singing, of sharing burdens, and of reading the word together and offering a prophetic word with an open heart and open ear. And then even asking the church as you gather together, just the simple question, if we're supposed to follow Jesus, if this is, you preach from the gospel, you preach from the scriptures, it's got to be grounded in the word. Spend a lot of time in the scriptures. But once you have told the story of Jesus encountered the Samaritan woman, then you might ask them, well, what would that look like today? If we're to live the story of God now, what would that look like today? And then the spirit starts showing up and applying the word. And then you be you might be able to you might learn something. I never thought about it that way. Yeah. I mean, how many times, David and Chad, have you preached to a group of people and you've got a you've got a sermon that the Lord's really burdened your heart with, and you feel like you did a good job delivering it, and you feel like, all right, Lord, that was I just sensed your spirit. Things just went so well, and it did. And then people afterwards, either right after the sermon or maybe a week later, this happened to me all the time, they would come to you and say, Pastor, that sermon you preached, da 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 and it was not a word I said. <laughs> yeah. 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 The spirit, the spirit was applying the word to right. them. And he yeah. was applying in a way, uh, so to speak, the spirit was making a list for them. I didn't need to make a list. Yeah. The spirit did that. Yeah. And at first I was troubled by that. Like I need to work harder at communicating. No, 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 no. The spirit is powerful enough to guide us in truth hmm. yeah. that draws to the scriptures, to read the scriptures together, and then to learn how to live out our faith, live the gospel every day. I, I always wondered what was happening when people said that. So now I'm, I'm so glad to know I can blame the Holy Spirit. On <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's the way I've rationalized. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, after all, we're such an excellent that. communicators, right? There's no yeah. way. Listen, that, no, that's really good. Yeah. I've never heard anybody really put it that way before. Yeah, so I'd great. say one of the, the starkest examples of that for me was when I was pastoring in Midland, south of uh, Fort Smith, and and I, I'd run across a survey. Uh, Todd Balsinger uh, did with some people. And the question he asked was, uh, what is the one thing 
that you most want to hear somebody say to you sincerely. And and I don't know, hundred and something people he surveyed, and the top are these three, church people? No, just people, just okay. people. Uh, and so number one was pretty obvious. I love you. You know, that's one thing they most wanted to hear somebody say to them sincerely. Number two was I forgive you. Uh, you're forgiven. And, and then and then number three was uh, supper's ready. <laughs> and uh, which was was funny and uh, he said that was number three on the list and so i'm looking at that and i'm thinking man this is a great make a great sermon series so i preached on the love of christ first sermon preached on forgiveness the second one and i preached on the uh the wedding banquet uh of the lamb the third one and so there was a couple visiting our church uh during that time and uh that had some issues in the past some divorce issues a lot of family squabbles and this whole family was on their way kind of to Jesus at this point. And, and so I was having lunch with the niece of this couple, uh, not too long after I finished this series. And she told me, she said, well, she said, my aunt and uncle are going to join the church. And, and I said, well, great. That's awesome. And she said, well, they told me the reason why is, uh, they felt like they needed to forgive this divorce issue, this you know, family squabble in their past. And since you had preached on forgiveness three Sundays in a row, they felt like God was trying to tell them. <laughs> I said, three Sundays in a row? And she said, I know that's not what you preach, but that's what they heard. Wow. <laughs> and I said, well, there, there you go. <laughs> so uh, that was one of those moments where I thought, okay, God, you just took over and did something there that uh, I didn't even you know, know what I needed to do. And so, uh, <laughs> but my good, my good friend, Rex Horn, he used to pastor Emmanuel Baptist yeah. and used to be the president of Washita said something to me years ago. He said, you know, we can accomplish a lot in flesh. Yeah. Hmm. But when the spirit shows up, those are eternal things. Yeah. And so it's true. I think we have to admit we can accomplish a lot in the flesh yeah. and I don't want to set up a, a false dichotomy, you know, because God does invite us Indeed, he, he compels us to participate in this, right? Yeah. He just doesn't drop the message down from heaven. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he said, follow me. So yeah. we get to, we get to participate in this. So, you know, being virtuous, uh, reading the scriptures, humility, the fruit of the spirit, working hard at, at, at trying to follow Christ. And, and then, then when you can't uh, do any more then then, you know, you begin to realize, it takes other people to do this. I can't yeah. do this by myself. Yeah. You know, we can't be the hero. We can't be the lone ranger. It takes every single one of us. And then as a pastor, you kind of back up and go, you know, this thing really doesn't depend upon me. Yeah. The way I put it is kind of taking a little, little ancillary trail here. God, you called me to do this. You got me in this mess. You need to take care of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, you it's, it's really him. And if we want it, it if we are willing, if we're willing to give ourselves as a gift because he's gifted us, then to me, that's the essence of grace. That's the essence of what it means to be in ministry. Yeah. And recognizing the giftedness of everybody, that God gifts us and then we're meant to be gifts to one another. That's the church. The word yeah. for gift in Greek is charisma, comes from the word charis, which is grace. Yeah. And it's there's a joy. Another Greek word, kara, which comes from the same root, 
There's a joy in recognizing that we are gifted by God and meant to be a gift because we are graced by him. Yeah. When that happens, I don't care what it looks like culturally. I don't care what kind of programs you have. When there's a very clear sense of this centripetal God showing up and we're being gifts to one another, the world goes, I want, I, I need that. Yeah. The yeah. world knows they need grace. They know. They know. And it's what sets our religion apart from all others. That's what sets Jesus apart from all others, is the, that the mercy and grace of God. Yeah. I heard Ron Martoya say one time that you don't have to convince people they're broken. They know they're broken. They just don't know what to do about it. Yeah. And, and we well, have the to confess it. it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, yeah. yeah, you're exactly right. So, yeah. so where, okay. So, but we've opened a kettle of worms, haven't we? Because, Oh man. Yeah. If you're wanting something programmatic, I haven't helped you out much. No. And well, and that's really kind of what we're trying to steer away from. Cause I think we've got the programmatic. What we don't have is the spirit led necessarily mm -hmm. and the communal aspect of that. Uh, that's what we, I think, you know, and I, you and I talked about this the other day and, and folks on podcasts, you know, this is no surprise to them. You know, I, I, Alan Hirsch has become a good friend and his forgotten ways book and his whole reading of Ephesians chapter four. And, and there's, there seems to be a recapturing. He's trying to recapture that everybody gets to play. Everybody is gifted in some way whether it's apostolically or prophetically or sh shepherding, whatever, everybody has a role to play in this. And we've relegated the role of the leader to just that shepherd teacher model when, and we're missing the centrifugal, you know, we've got the centripetal. We want to draw people in, but we've missed the centrifugal force. In, in well, I think out. even we're missing some of the centripetal, David, because if we think of it only as come so you can hear me preach, that's yeah. not what yeah. the scripture's about. Yeah. It's exactly. about us coming together, needing one another to be church for one another. That's yeah. what it's about. Yeah. Needing Christ in each other. Yeah. That's what it's about. Yeah. And one of the gifts is the, is the prophetic word. That's absolutely yeah. And then, then with that, then the centrifugal happens. Yeah. It's the spirit that compels. If you have to be browbeat into, in, into living in the world as a Christian, you drag your knuckles out there and go, okay, here I go. Like that Lone Ranger mentality, I think you're taking yourself too seriously. I think the hope of the world in Christ Jesus is the church. Yeah. You can't do it by yourself. It's the church as an alternate community. And think about it, if we were to live Paul's vision, neither male nor female, Jew or Gentile, bond or free, slave, you know, slave or free. In other words, if economic, gender, racial, all those tensions that the world often is rife with, you know, hatred and conflict and what divides us in the world. If the Spirit showed up and we saw we needed each other, not just because of the spiritual giftedness, but we look around and go, oh, my goodness, these people are not like me at all. In, in, in our race or ethnicity or our economic states, but we're mutually submissive to one another. That yeah. was revolutionary for Paul. I mean, can you imagine and say, let's, let's pretend in Paul's church in Corinth, right? They had like at least five house churches. Let's pretend that uh, in the, in the one where all the slaves were meeting, that there's a slave who has the gift of prophecy, right? And then when they come together to celebrate the table of the Lord, and what if that slave 
who is a slave of the master of the patron of this other house church, he stands up and de declares a prophetic word in the presence of that slave and that master. Hmm. Can you imagine how revolutionary that would have been? Yeah, yeah. Or for slaves to sit right next to masters and to serve one another. Yeah. See, but we miss that. Yeah. We miss that because for us, church is simply something I choose to do because I want to seek some sort of personal benefit. When uh, we are to be bigger than that. We're a part of something bigger than that. Where God is the one who only, it takes a God, a big God to pull people from such different backgrounds and pull them together and they speak with one voice. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because of my ethnicity, not to set it aside. No, God loves the diversity in the world. He created it for goodness sake. Right? <laughs> yeah. Many tribes and tongues and peoples. He created this. And for us to come together as, with one voice, Ephesians 4, right? Yeah. One baptism, one Lord, all of these different groups of people and different economic ranks and social and think about that. And they come together with a sense that we are gifts to one another and we need one another to be Christian. The world looks at that and goes, okay, that's the end of the world. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it interesting? When you go to films that are apocalyptic, the end of the world, the way the world sees it is death, destruction. I mean, right? Gloom and Right? Everybody dies. That's not Paul's vision of the end of the world. The end of the world is generosity, love, revelation. The end of the world is a garden a city where everyone doesn't need uh, sun because the light of Christ is evident. There is no darkness. See it. Yeah. The end of the world is grace. It's faith. It's, it's peace. <laughs> and we get that. We get an apocalyptic glimpse of what we're, what the end of the world will look like when we come together as the body of Christ. So, so where do you think this went wrong? <laughs> and how do we get it back? <laughs> well, here's the thing. If we ever had it. <laughs> here's the good news. There you go. Here's yeah. the good news. If there's a false narrative that the early church got it right, and we've just been going downhill ever since. <laughs> right. so it's that apocalyptic. It's going to hit the fan, and then thank God it'll be over. Right. Right. Where's the work of the kingdom in that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So the good news is Paul had to write letters. Yeah. Right? Yeah. What does that mean? You had to write letters. And there were problems. <laughs> right? Big problems. Big problems. Some bigger than other places. But yeah. there's just all these places where the church got started. They were, why? Why are there problems? Because of a variety of things. But primarily, it has to do with the fact of, are we going to follow the Lord? Or are we going to follow ourselves? Yeah. Are we going to live for one another? Are we going to live for our, our own desires? Philippians 2, it's the hymn, right, that they yeah. sang. You know, I want you to have this joy where you defer to one another. Have this mind of Christ where he emptied himself because he is God. He emptied himself. Not although, yeah. he, you know, it's, it, I really like the clause of Parsifal. Be, it's Michael Gorman who explores that in his book. Because he is God, he emptied himself. This is what God does. Mm. He stoops so low to save the lowest so that the least can become the greatest. This is the gospel. And this is the way we're to live with one another. 
I'm preaching now. Sorry. Uh, no, no, no. It's great. I, you know, I think if you could ever find some passion, Dr. Reeves. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, that's wonderful. Yeah. Well, so I think that's the salient issue, isn't it? Yeah. Is it, this sense of the, the passion, the passion of Christ and the, yeah. that you guys have that we have. Yeah. And it's, I guess it's keeping first things first. It's getting to the heart of the matter. It's, 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 it's Jesus. It's, it's thinking very clearly through what we have in the scriptures of how he lived his life, how we're to follow him and by his spirit live out what we believe. Yeah. That centripetal force will be enough. It will be enough to fling us to the edge of the earth, the ends of the earth into the last day. It has been, and it always will be. It's, yeah. it's interesting. You mentioned Acts chapter two in the early church kind of being the pinnacle uh, because I hear a lot of people talk about, you know, the community of the church and day-to-day breaking bread and in each other's homes. And we ought to be this community. And then, you know, they talk about uh, devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and how we should gather around the word and all this. But, but I always find it interesting that what seems to be missing is people saying, hey, how many of us want to sell everything we have? There you have? go. There you go. <laughs> it's it's prescriptive until you get to the part about <laughs> radical generosity. Yeah. Sell you know, what you got right. and give it to your pastor. Uh oh no. Uh, now yeah. we're talking descript. Yeah. yeah, so you you start yeah. that with your uh with your core team. You know, you, you get yeah. to the yeah. to week three of radical generosity and you're gonna lose <laughs> yeah. a lot of people. Yeah. 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 I found that extremely hopeful what you said about Paul writing letters that you know, there were obviously issues. I mean, you look at the the you know first part of revelation and and the churches i yes. got this against you and this yes. against you and but yeah that is extremely hopeful for that's us that's it real well done chad because we typically look at those critiques and say for some reason that's god or christ or paul being harsh not at all it's because he believes right he knows not just believe he knows the hope of the world is christ paul mm. jesus knows that we are his body so mm. that's why the critique comes. It's an act of reclamation. Yeah. He's reclaiming us through the prophetic word. Yeah. Yeah. And it, the hard part for us is to be, to humble ourselves and to admit. Yeah. When we are, we have racial prejudice, when we're being sexist, when we have economic prejudice. Yeah. The things that the world prize that we allow to set up as priorities in our congregation. That's that. And the world knows that guys yeah. they know it they know it right they can spot inauthenticity in authenticity a mile away they can see it they know it uh. and it's it's this i think i come back again to this importance of humbling ourselves in the presence of the lord and the presence of one another i'm writing on john's spirituality right now and that's one of the things that's hit me in the face over and over again when you read one john he starts with the presumption that he knows that when we gather together, we're going to confess our sins to one another. Hmm. And we're going to confess. He did, he, of course, that's where you start. Because yeah. when Christ shows up, Isaiah 6, right? When God shows up, what do you do? Yeah. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live with a bunch of sinners. That's just what happens when yeah. God shows up. Yeah. And so there's this desire for a koinonia built on the honesty of who we are in Christ. Forgiven and reclaimed, redeemed. Well... The Lord must have showed up during this podcast because I think I've repented of four or five different things just listening to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> well, and, and you know, and that right there, one of the things that we just recently had Neil Cole uh, come and do a one day event for us or organic church guy. And one of the things he talks about as a hallmark of their, uh, their missional communities, their awakening chapels, churches, whatever, is that confession of sin. And, uh, you know, <laughs> the, you know, as a part of their life transformation groups, they're reading large chunks of scripture together. And then, and then there's a list of confessional accountability questions they work through him included every week. That's it. Uh, and yeah. it doesn't have to be a laundry list. You right. know, John doesn't go, he doesn't tell them what kinds and how. Yeah. I think the confession is just, you might say, what is common to all of us? Confess pride, confess arrogance, confess lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, the pride of life, confess greediness. You know, mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be someone standing up and airing the dirty laundry. Nowhere in the New Testament does that happen. Right. In right. fact, Paul says it's wrong to speak of the deeds of darkness. We're not supposed to do that. Yeah. But that's not that's not what confession is. Confession is saying the same thing about our sin that God does. That's yeah. what it is. Yeah. And we agree here at now, it's not just your sin, David. It's not just my sin. It's our sin. Yeah. The yeah. pronouns in one John are plural. Yeah. If we confess our sin. Yeah. Because we're all in this together. Yeah. 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 It's good. Yeah. So, so, so. Gosh, I got nine million questions. I've I, we could take this in a whole bunch of different directions. Uh, that's one of the reasons I love taking your classes and still talking to you to this day because you make me think about so many different things. What, okay, so we have a particular form of church in the West. I mean, it's and it's across denominations, across the board. There is a certain form and liturgy, you know, kind of that. It, you know, that, that we follow uh you know the missional conversation has kind of i think in some ways tried to provide part of a corrective to that you know with the the sending nature that centrifugal force you talked about and also the the communal nature that it is a corporate nature that it is we not just a few professionals and then everybody else but uh, we are in this together. So, you know, what would be your advice to our church planners starting out where they're, I mean, the, the slate is clean. You didn't put anything on it, but you have to put something on it. I mean, you're setting, you know, the course for a new church here, a new gathering, a new people or an expression of that, that church. So, so what would be your advice to planners starting out how to, be that alternative society, you know, things to major on things to do in the beginning. That makes sense. I just yeah, write. David, that's a big, that's a big, big, it's a big question. question. Isn't it? Um, yeah. and, and I, I, I've never done that. So let me just say, I, yeah. I have no wisdom. I've, I have no wisdom of my own. Um, I've always come in either as a pastor, uh, or an interim, but as a pastor, I've come into a church that had been there for a long time, and there's a long history that should be celebrated. So the idea of, of planting, let me put it like this. I, I, when you were saying it, I'm, I don't think it's possible to plant a church without a context. I don't think right. it's possible right. to have a frame, right? And right. go, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shoehorn it in here. Yeah. Well, I think the, my only answer would be, and this is kind of gut level, is you have to live there for a while. <laughs> 
it seems to me you'd have to live there with the people yeah. and have a sense of community mm -hmm. and what's what's important and and even how how they do things uh differently because city councils and public events and i mean they're just there's subtle differences but they're differences and if you've lived them with them for a while and ask their advice you yeah. know if you've got believers that want to come together ask their advice because you know there is no format in the scripture to tell us exactly how to do it right right i mean we we understand that the christian liturgy generally came from we think the jewish synagogue which generally came from the temple liturgy which generally comes from you know some evidences in different books like psalms and song of solomon and and uh, the prophets and and especially Leviticus. so any kind of format is going to be culturally informed. It's going to be contextual. Yeah. So I would say that just be sensitive to your context. You know, yeah. yeah. And then and then think about just the basic building blocks of the centripetal that we've been talking about, and then think of different ways in which that can manifest itself. Um, let me let me recommend a book. I, it's not programmatic, but it's it's a really good book that's hitting all of these things. That we've been talking about and it's scott mcknight's book called it's called a fellowship of difference and the different is like different from this it's not different ce but it's difference r-e-n-t-s a fellowship of difference and what scott does in that book is not only put before the reader what we've been talking about but he has conversations with pastors in a variety of contexts um and he brings that into discussion and the stories that he 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 hears from them and the stories that he himself has experienced and i think that's an excellent book that's trying to be if you will uh issue from paul's vision of the church and then trying to ask the questions what would it look like in light of the things that separate us in culture yeah and and uh and then how the church coming together because yeah I, I, like chad you know his his joke is well put and that is you know we're very selective in what we think is is prescriptive and acts so we're not saying you know get, sell all your property and give it to your pastor we're not saying that because acts is not prescriptive it is descriptive right and, and you have to do a lot of work don't you to figure out why was that so important well the reason it was so important that they sell it is because like i said they turned their back on every you know they need each other economically yeah we don't have that today Believing in Jesus in America, no matter where you are, doesn't mean you necessarily cut off all economic prospects for yourself. Yeah. So the need to sell your property is not there to take care of one another. However, I think the spirit behind those words are just as important. It's to set up some sort of uh, opportunity for them to become dependent upon one another socially, economically. Yeah. When you talk about the first thing Jesus always looked for were the people in need. He's always looking on the margins, right? Because the, the people who are, are, are the rejects, the cursed of God, that's where the kingdom shows up first. Mm. Mm. Okay? Yeah. So you can find the poor and the hungry and the naked. There's a good place to start. Yeah. B bringing resources to help. Um, provide opportunities for just like many all churches do this but the, of helping counts you know marriages in trouble or families that are that are having a hard time because uh, they've got a son who's in jail i mean there's all kinds of possibilities right but if you come together and share one another's burdens in whatever context you want to put that in 
And what issues from that is this real desire, again, here the centripetal and then the centrifugal, to go out and, and as Jesus said, when you do it to the least of these, you've done it to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so again, I haven't answered your question because I don't think I, <laughs> I, don't think I can, Dave. Yeah. I don't think I can. I can't. I've never done it. And, and so, you know, take my words. Uh, I, that's why I'm reticent to give you a program or I think you do this first or that first. But the first thing I would say to repeat is live there for a while. Yeah. You just can't show up and go, I'm going to start a church. I think you have to live there for a while, wherever it is. Take on flesh and dwell among them, right? There you go. Yeah. Brian Sanders, uh, who oversees the Tampa Underground, a collection of micro churches in Tampa, Florida. And he, uh, we were talking at Exponential Conference last year, and I got like 175, maybe more than that now, of these local micro expressions of the church. And then they come all come together. Yeah, there you, you know, go. For uh, fellowship. Yeah, for fellowship and worship and sharing meals and all that stuff. But they're but they have this day in, day out, living the way of Jesus among a people that need to see the way of Jesus lived out. And he's I asked him, I said, Okay, I said, you know, for, for guys to ask, you know, what was your starting point? What did you do to get this thing started? He said, I moved into a neighborhood and lived there for ten years. Oh, see, there it is. But yeah, there it is. That, that was his answer, and uh, that's a that's one I'm inclined to think that was intuitive for me. But yeah, and so yeah. he's done it. Yes, yes, and so they've been there over ten years now. And he said, "We just moved into the neighborhood and started looking around. Okay, Jesus, where do we need to go? Who do we need to uh, to?" I love that. Yeah, and it's I just, love that. Continue span. I mean, he's an incredible guy. That's what Paul did. Now yeah. there are reasons why Paul went certain places. I mean, yeah. you know, the reason why he goes to these urban centers is because he has he's a tent maker. He's got to make a living. Yeah. Roman roads connected them, and there's some practicalities as to why Paul went where he went, why he moved west. He's a Roman citizen. I mean, so all of these things matter, you know, it, but. So you don't have to pick the most remote place, right? Paul didn't go, okay, the Spirit's charged us in Antioch to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Let's go uh, to India, which they had probably heard of but didn't know much about. Yeah. No, there are reasons why he went certain directions, right? Yeah. We may have the same kind of practical reasons for where we go when we go. Yeah. But the point is, wherever we go, wherever we live, and this is not just for planters, it's for all of us is we incarnate the gospel together. Yeah. And it's not up to each one of us. It's up to all of us. Yeah. And I think that takes the pressure off. Uh, Yeah. 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 Well, I tell you, (laughs) boy, we've just, we haven't solved anything today, have we? (laughs) Well, see, that's, that's my, that's my trade, Dave, you know, as a college prof, I just, I don't have answers. I just know where all the good questions are. Here is Well, I've got one answer. I've got one answer, not to sound pious, but I know he's the answer. Yeah. Jesus is the answer, but Jesus is also the question to us. (laughs) Right, right, right. He's the question. Well, here, here is my my quintessential summation of Dr. Reeves. (laughs) From uh, I think it was our New Testament theology class at Williams. Uh, 
somebody got frustrated with you because you were employing the Socratic method of teaching <laughs> continually asking questions. I think it was Kim Bridges uh, who said, would you just give us the answer? <laughs> and your statement was, it's not about getting answers to all your questions, but learning to ask the right questions and the better questions. I've never, I've quoted you. I can't tell you how many times over the years from that class. And so everybody in, in grind podcast land has gotten to experience this today. <laughs> Sorry. There, there are no answers, just only more questions. And isn't it true for you guys? I mean, the, when, yeah. when you think of, think about just this one simple observation, Jesus told parables. Yeah. Think about that. He didn't lay it out. He didn't, you know, he told a story and said, you got ears, you figure it out. And that is so opposite of our well, approach to spirituality. Hey, not to mention, uh, you know, pe the Pharisees asking him a question, him going, okay, I'll answer your there question. You there yeah. you go. Is John's ministry from man yes. or from God? Oh, you know, he, he was a genius, <laughs> and, wasn't he? Dude, and yeah. then, and then when they don't answer, he goes, well, I'm not going to answer your question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, knows, just, he knows this. He knows this. Let's talk about okay. confidence. He's the end to every question. And I don't mean it just piously. I'm talking about the big questions. Yeah. The big questions we've been struggling with right now. He knows he's the terminus. He's the end. Paul calls him the goal. The, the, you know, the law yeah. of the, the goal of the law. He knows he is the answer, the end to all of our big questions. Yeah. And when we go to him and we think about him and, and use the incarnate, think about him as the prism through which we see all things because he is truth. Right. Then. We'll get what that what that does just causes more questions yeah which brings us back to him this again this yeah. centripetal centrifugal i keep going back to that so that, so that paradigm has helped me yeah so to summarize the question and answer would go jesus jesus <laughs> jesus jesus is the question just over the in this so endless jesus? loop and that's not satisfying you know for the list makers they, they hate this yeah you know why there were members of the church of central said i gotta leave this place it doesn't know a thing uh, i had one guy come to me a really good guy you know and he says i gotta leave and i go okay what tell me what you know he says i gotta go to where they're beating the war drums beating the war drums yeah i said well you know i'm just trying to preach the gospel and if 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 you know i'm not and what he meant was i'm not hitting the marquee issues over and over and over yeah basically preaching about how worldly the world is yeah yeah and uh so you know it and i, I understood it was frustrating yeah uh, as a matter of fact they had an expert come in they brought in not they but uh, we had an expert come in and he listened to the, you know, my preaching and he, he basically said, you know, you're not going to get the results that you want, you know, and I just, I said, look, I, I'm just, it's the parables of Jesus that's captured my imagination. Yeah. He's the son of God, the most important mission on earth. And he tells makeup stories and says, you've got ears, you figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. Because he knows the spirit will guide us in truth. He knew it. Yeah. And what that means, guide us to him. Yeah. Yeah. So we need elevation of community, diminishment of a single voice, and dependency upon the spirit to lead. And one another. An and, 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 there you yeah, go. There you go. There you go, Chad. 
Dave was almost Dave's giving us an outline. It was almost it was almost alliterated. <laughs> no, it will never be alliterated. It was almost I think two of the three were it beginning. Never alliteration is of the devil, Chad. Well, you're of the devil then. You've been twice there. So get thee behind oh, us, Dave. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. The day that I start alliterating things is uh yeah. We're, we're well, in trouble. That's today. So I don't, the, let's see what happens. Armageddon is around the corner. If All I start right. alliterating things, Lost, I'll keep my eyes on the east <laughs> side of the sky. Doc, they give me a hard time all the time. Cause I hate alliteration. And, uh, I tell you, they just, just mockery. mockery. I'm not smart enough to do it. So that's why I don't like uh, it. Yeah. So, sometimes neither we, is anybody else. They just think they are. Sometimes yeah. we mock him with alliteration. Oh, do you? <laughs> by using alliteration. Yeah, <coughs> yeah exactly. Exactly. Uh, All right. Well, man, this is so fun. So good. Uh, I don't know that we solved anything today, but we sure did have great time. Well, <laughs> you know, we don't, we, we, we don't live in this world a ton. And I think it was real refreshing to have this kind of type of conversation. Yeah. I, who especially is a, is a scholar uh, among other things, but, uh, but, but to get your perspective and, and such a, I mean, really, I was convicted of some things and repented of some things yeah. uh, and, and was just really encouraged by what you said and, and sensed the spirit's uh, presence in your words and, yeah. And so I appreciate your time and, and, and speaking to us uh, from your perspective. Well, I, well, thanks guys. Thanks, Chad. Thanks Dave for the invitation. Um, just, uh, you know, one man, right? <laughs> There's one man trying to offer what I, I'm trying to follow the Lord. I know you guys are too. And it takes all of us to do that. So yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm glad you guys invited me on. I know you, both of you, you have a huge challenge. It, yeah. it's a weighty challenge. Yeah. But the bottom line is, you know, it's up to God. He's the one that has to make it happen. Right. And right. your listeners out there, it's not up to you. Yeah. You get to participate. But it's up to the Lord. He is the one, like, like Paul said, you know, I planted Apollos water, but God gives the increase. Yeah. And as a pastor, I need to remind myself over and over of that truth. Yeah. I get to participate and God is up to you. Yeah. And that's a very liberating truth. Yeah. Yeah. That took Paul to the end of his life. Yeah. 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 Man, good stuff. Good stuff. Okay. Now, before we get you out of here, we have uh, a section, a deal we do called rapid fire. Uh-oh. Now, now here's these. Have, we haven't already worn out our listeners. Goodness, we've gone for well, like an hour or something. Yeah, you, you thought the questions were tough before. Oh, boy. The, these are the <laughs> tough questions. Now, here, now there, uh, there are some things that I know about you that Uh-oh. others are going to get to know about you now with these oh, questions. That I'm if excited. he's honest. Yeah, he's yeah, honest. yeah, yeah. And what, what not everybody knows is that Dr. Reeves is quite the piano player. Quite the musician. Quite the pianist. Uh, yes. Yeah. Pianist. Yeah. <laughs> That's hard to say sometimes. It's a, it's an awkward word. There's yeah, not any is. way you can say that to make it sound okay. It I just, like saying it. Just I'm afraid. afraid. I'm afraid Dave's built me up. I I'm a hack. I'm not. No. A, no. 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 Not when I'm it comes. A hack. To, not when it comes to Elton John and Billy Joel. I have heard you tickle the ivories quite well uh, on, in that regard. So, I'm a fan. I'm okay. a fan of both of their work. Okay, so here, all right, so here we go. So rapid fire. This this first question is probably going to be the toughest one for you to answer. 
but uh, top one or two books that have had the most influence on you? Other than the scripture. Other right? than the Bible. Wow. Top one or two. How do you do that? Uh, yeah. For, for a scholar and a reader like you, that's <laughs> maybe I mean, something like at a particular pivotal time that. Okay. Okay. Um, it's not what you're going to, it's not what you expect, but these are the two or three that came to my mind. Um, first, the first book that came to my mind is Bonhoeffer's book. Um, uh, the cost of discipleship, which is not the German title for that work, but yeah, that's the first thing that came. Second work that came to mind is by Henri Nouwen, and it's called The Wounded Healer. Mm. And then the third that came to mind is a book by George Caird. It's hermeneutics. It's called, I think it's called the imagery. What is it? The imagery and something of the Bible. I'm looking at my shelf to see if I have I loaned that out. <laughs> uh, I don't see it on my, well, here it is. The Language and Imagery of the Bible by George Caird, C-A-I-R-D. It's a great book on hermeneutics, uh, which to me, if you don't, if you've never read anything to teach you how to read the Bible, you're just missing out. Yeah, yeah. Those three books just came to my, those are the first three that came to my mind. All right, what about your top strength and weakness in ministry? Oh, you know what I've discovered? I think often um, strengths are weaknesses. Gifts are uh, always gifts can function as a curse. <laughs> yeah. So I. A think, lot of people have said that in this podcast. They say right? their strength is their weakness. Yeah. yeah. And so over for me, I, I have this. This. I'll say what other people have said about me. And that is that my strength in ministry is that I have a, a way of explaining God's word for the time in which it was written and is relevant for us. That becomes a weakness because uh, I'm, I'm convinced I'm right. <laughs> well, all this talk about humility. Yeah. Right? Aren't we all convinced? I'm preaching that? to myself because yeah. once you do a lot of work and you, you find the text and it jumps out at you, these are not just old people. This is, this is a living work, right? And yeah. Paul has a face and you, you love him and you know him. It's like, you, like, right. You get into his heart and his head and his mind and, and then, then you make you bridge the gap to today. Once I've done that, I'm just I'm convinced I'm right. And yeah. it takes a while to deconstruct it. Yeah. And so I have to I, I you know that idea of humbling yourself. Numbers have arrived. Uh, that's that's probably my weakness is pride in that. Yeah. yeah. A yeah. certainty that develops out of that. Yeah. Favorite hobby or pastime? Fishing. Fishing. And then I, I probably know the answer to this one, but favorite band or musician? Well, Elton John is my favorite. Yeah. And his his lyricist, Bernie Toppin. Yeah. I mean, Elton John is a musical genius, but yeah. Bernie Toppin's lyrics is the reason I kept coming back to his music. Yeah. Is, uh, Mr. Toppin has an, an uncanny ability to be honest about the human condition in yeah. ways that Christians are not. And that's what draws me in. Sometimes we yeah. Christians are not honest about the human condition. Yeah. We gloss it over in our songs and in our sermons. That's why poetry, honest poets, 
really capture my imagination. And in, in Toppin's lyrics, he, for me, he puts his finger honestly on the human condition in a way that's refreshing, that invites kind of a prophetic word from the Lord. It's so true. I, I was putting my kid to bed the other night, and he said something about uh, songs that are about Jesus. He says, why do you like songs that are about Jesus? And I said, you know, buddy, really all songs are about Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) But it was kind of that truth, you know, that really everything's either pointing to him or alluding to him or or the reason why things are because he's not there or, you know. Yeah. Well, and I think you you hit on something that I've always felt that, one of the reasons I think when uh, dictators take over a nation, they run out the artists and the poets and the musicians, because typically those are the prophetic voices to a people yep. that say what others are afraid to say and express it in a way that you know are threats to the regimes. I have said publicly in our culture now, I'm convinced evangelicals will be saved by God will use artists. Yeah. Bring the gospel back. Yeah. Because yeah. artistry, it's it's a desert in evangelical world. Yeah. We need artists to help us recover the sense of the truth of God's beauty. Yeah. We just need them. Yeah. Now, musicians have 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 reigned uh powerfully in the church, but we need artists to help us honestly talk about the ugly truth of the human condition. Yeah. The beauty of it. Yeah. The beautiful, ugly truth of it. Yeah. Because the cross is an ugly, beautiful truth. Yeah. It shows us immediately what's wrong with the human work condition, and it shows us our only hope for the human condition. Yeah. And if artists capture the, the honestly, right, the struggle we all have, I, I, my heart goes to that. Yeah. I, I'm just, I'm drawn into that uh, automatically. Uh, and, and poets, you're right. I mean, literary artists, um, painters, visual artists, graphic, I mean, all kinds of artists. The church is in desperate need of artists who love Jesus. Yeah, 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 absolutely. All right, well, Doc, thanks so much. Man, always great to talk to you, and uh, thanks for coming on. And uh, we, We're going to have to have you back, and we'll pick another broad, expansive, unsolvable topic <laughs> to, to wade into with you again. I'm yeah. happy to do it. Yeah, that'd be fun. That'd be fun. Thanks, All guys. Right. All righty. See you, everybody, uh, next time on The Grind.